Welcome back to Rocky Unscripted, a podcast where we talk about faith when Sunday is over. I hope you're enjoying the show, and if you have found it to be helpful, please share it any way you can. Rate and review the podcast so more people can find out about it. We've seen this podcast grow, and we want to keep it going. Thank you for listening. Last week, we had a team of 21 people return from a trip to Kenya, and they served alongside one of our favorite ministries. You'll hear more about that in just a minute. When our pastors, Sean and Matt, helped lead the trip, and they brought back some really good lessons that can be applied whether you went on the trip or not. And just like most of you, I didn't go. And yet there are several things that challenged me in this conversation. So let's jump right into it now. Well, guys, you've been back from your trip. How long ago was it now? Is it two weeks? Five months. Uh, it was <laughs> two, a week and a day. A week two and days. a day since you've yeah. been back? Two, mon- two days. Two yeah. Mondays ago, yeah. Wow. Okay. So obviously this that won't be the case depending on when people listen to this podcast. But it's fresh. Oh, yeah. The trip is fresh. And uh, we wanted to sit down with you guys and have a conversation. I know I'm sure you guys have some stories that uh, we'd love to hear. But what we want to talk about today is what lessons we pull from your experiences. And uh, we couldn't go on the trip. Not everyone could go on the trip. So there's people listening today that could really benefit from, from some of the things that you guys have learned. What can we apply in our lives so can we talk about that today? Yeah. Yeah. Before we get there though, man, yeah. I tell you, you know, Matt led that trip and it was an amazing trip and he did, he did a phenomenal job. So just a little pat on the back. Matt bro. has a big Good smile job. on his face. <laughs> yeah, it was dude. And you Matt just... does not need any confidence boost. <laughs> Why are you saying this? Sean? <laughs> no, I, but the guy's been there six times. That's crazy. And it just showed the relationship and depth. And even just when he walked in the door, and this a familiarity with all the people mm. and everything. It was it was fun to watch, fun to be a part of, and good job, man. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I appreciate it. So you were able to prove that he actually went to Kenya <laughs> and wasn't going on vacation yeah. all these other exactly. trips. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Oh. Going to Cabo. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so you guys just got back from Kenya, and a lot of our people, a lot of people listening, know what we're doing there, but also don't want to assume that everyone listening does. So can you guys kind of give a snapshot of – why do we go to Kenya specifically? What's going on? What what ministry do we partner and what do they do? Yeah. Missions of Hope International um, is an organization we partner with. We call them Mohi. Yeah. And they actually just celebrated their 20-year anniversary last year. Was it last? I think it was last yeah. year. And um, they, they primarily are, are serving um, children in the slums in Nairobi. Okay. That's where they started. And now they've, they're expanding now throughout Kenya and, um, and, um, have a vision now of over the next nine years growing to uh, to serve a hundred thousand kids. And how many kids do they have right now? Right now, there's somewhere between twenty twenty two thousand. That is crazy. Yeah, so they've got some really big vision. But yeah, started twenty years ago with um, yeah twenty two thousand was last week. Who knows this week? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> They're just growing. Yeah. Place. So mm-hmm. started twenty years ago with two classrooms and I think fifty kids and. Um, really have a holistic approach to ministry, so they they realize education is a key factor for these kids who live in the slums, but then also healthcare, and there's also a big spiritual piece. So every mm. school that Mohi plants, they also plant a church with it. So um, Rocky was actually on some of the front lines really, really early on in the history of Mohi. Alan Algram, our former lead pastor, was one of the first American pastors who went over and did a vision trip to see what was already happening. And um, so it's kind of a cool history with Rocky. I mean, we've, we've been partnering for many, many years, and we serve specifically at one of the schools in the slums there in a community called Medoya. Okay. And uh, it's a school that has uh, now 800 kids. And um, our trip, uh, a big part of it was uh, Vacation Bible School. Mm. So we've had teams going every year, um, and we put on a, a really fun Vacation Bible School. Now, this is the first time we've ever done it for 800 kids. So it's so a lot our, of work. our team... Did a vacation Bible school for 800 kids. Yes, over four days. Wow. And um, and then around that, a bunch of other really cool stuff. So home visits and visiting with people in the community and uh, and other things as well. So, But the primary purpose is, is really loving and serving on those kids. So it's a big deal because otherwise they don't really have access to education. Is that right? These kids? Yeah, there's no, there's really no opportunity for them. There's no... Um, you know, like government schools there, and there's nothing mm-hmm. like that that the country's offering. And so, um, hence why Mohi kind of began, because seeing this huge need, there's all these kids who are not in school. Yeah. And um, 
and so yeah it's you see the power of education you know, i think i think we'll probably talk about perspective here in a little bit but mm-hmm. that is something you realize on these trips that education is the way out mm-hmm. and and you see how valuable school is you know i was just even since i was back you know last couple of days and was hanging out with some of our students at student ministry last week <laughs> you know they're all complain about school i don't like school and this and this and this and you go hang out with these kids and and school is it's life it is it is the way and an opportunity to to experience something different than what they know and to mohi does it's it's mind-boggling what they have been able to do and then you hear their vision and it, it's it's pretty incredible but because of what you've seen happen you go it's probably gonna happen mm-hmm. oh, yeah 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 i i uh i think for me first time being able to stand there and see the building that we were able to build, man, that thing is like a beacon of light in, I mean, if you, you go through the slums and just the amount of filth and trash and all of that, that they live in, Mm -hmm. then you walk right into that Mohi school and you look up at that seven story high building Mm -hmm. and man, it does stand for something. The other Mm -hmm. thing that struck me too, is you watch those kids with those uniforms on, Mm -hmm. there is a pride in them big time that they are a part of something. And to see how they're bringing the gospel into that, and it's pretty, it's pretty impressive. That's awesome. So, I knew so, it was awesome, but to go and to be and there, experience it firsthand, it was amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, what what are some of the the lessons that you guys pulled away that uh, not only you learned, but you feel like are helpful for anybody? Yeah, we'd say. What do you think? Well, you know, I think the big one that you know we've been interacting with, and it, we also chat about it in the video we showed a couple of weeks ago, but just. The, the the perspective of when you're around, um, you know, people who, who are with Mohi, when you're around the teachers, when you're around their executive directors, you you realize that everything begins with prayer. And and that's one of the perspective, you know, shifts that you have on a trip when you, you know, when you live how we live and then you go hang out in a community where people are living on less than, you know, a dollar or two a day, mm-hmm. you you realize that the prayers are different. And, and when you hear the, even the vision of Mohi, you know, I, I can remember after we were sitting, we were walking out of the orientation and they were dropping that vision, you know, 100,000 kids, which means they're, they're going to have to reach about 80,000 kids in the next nine years. And which is crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's like borderline, just hard to imagine. Yeah. But when you see the emphasis of, of God and what God is able to do, you quickly go, yeah, um, I believe it's going to happen. So, so how are their, can you give us an example? How are their prayers different? Because you, you, you around these people, you've been there six times, but just a little over a week ago, you're around them. How are their prayers different? I, I think it's just the, the first thing that really stands out is the, that, that is step one. Where I, I remember Sean and I having some discussions like, you know, how often are we, you know, there's this vision or there's this thing we want to accomplish. Prayer's in there somewhere. Yeah. But I'll get to it. Yeah, yeah. But we're already strategizing. Yeah. We've got the four step deal. Who do I need to talk to? How much money are we going to need? And you can just see, you know, even even we were sitting down with, you know, Marion Wallace, who are the executive directors over there, and they're talking about these things in the future. It, it's, it, it comes out in their language too. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, and I like risk, man. I'm, I'm high risk and they say things and I'm like, <laughs> like, like, I don't know. That sounds crazy. And, and you'll hear Mary say, you know, well, when God makes this opportunity to happen, I believe he'll, it'll happen. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, uh, and we've talked about this. We said this a little bit in the message, but we plan first and then pray that God will bless our plans. Yeah. They pray first and pray for God to give them the plan. And it, and it is amazing because they have, and I even think they, they pray differently. I would notice when Mary would pray, she would always, I don't know if you noticed this, but she would always say, uh, in the mighty name mm-hmm. of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And she'd say it multiple times during her prayer. It was like there's this, there's this belief and confidence in the power of God to answer prayer and to be involved in what we're doing. And I think they even believe that... Um, that they can move the hand of God through prayer. Yeah. And it was interesting. Mark Batterson um, writes a book, The Circle Maker, and he talks about prayer. And he even has a, he has a great line. And, you know, some people would agree with this. Some people don't. But I like his idea. He said, prayers are prophecies. 
they're the best predictors of the future. Prayers are prophecies. Yeah. That's a big statement. That's a big statement. And you could agree or disagree, but what he's saying is, man, I you even see places in the New Testament, the Old Testament, when people's prayers moved the hand of God mm-hmm. or even changed God's mind on some things. And I think they act that way. We don't. So I heard you guys say that on the on the video that you you sent from Kenya, and that really stuck out to me because I'm guilty of that. I think most Americans are uh, that you know that have a faith. A problem presents itself, and we immediately try to think of what are the top five things I can do to fix this problem. And then yes, God. So, but what if if I'm in the middle of that and I realize okay I'm on step three of my plan and haven't prayed, have I all have I messed it all up? Like, how do you salvage it at that point? I didn't pray first. What do I do now? There's never a wrong time to pray. Okay. Right? There's never a wrong time to pray. But I think what prayer sometimes does is it aligns our heart um, with God's heart. Yeah. And uh, it was interesting this summer, you know, we've talked a lot about some vision things for our church. And one of the things I've been guilty of in the past is going away and planning and saying, here's here's where we're going. And then I ask God to bless that. And I'm coming and trying to cast that vision to you guys. And I've always noticed it. doesn't really go that well that way. Mm. And this summer we did something different. We said, I don't know where God is leading us, and it's a really interesting time, so maybe that even slowed us down. And yeah. we spent the whole summer praying. And what's been interesting to me from that time we sat down with our staff and kind of cast some vision of where we're going, um, after we'd all come to agreement on that and saying, yep, I think this is where God's leading us, it's amazing to me how uh, we spent that summer praying how many things have already I'm seeing God beginning to align or maybe he just brought us to where he was already going. Yeah. And those things are just aligning so much easier. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't know if I'm answering your question other than it's never a bad time to pray, yeah. but it, there's always a better time to pray, and that's at the beginning. Sure. And and maybe it aligns our heart with God's and our activity with yeah. where God's already moving. And maybe we learn as we go. Yeah. And we're recognizing it's like, okay, I, I haven't brought this uh, to God, and, and I haven't tried to, to solve this problem through faith. But next time, maybe I'll, I'll think of it sooner. Yeah. I'll think of it earlier. But I think we're, in general, we're good at solving problems. And, and we have resources to solve those problems. Is that, <clears throat> is that the difference? Well, you definitely... I don't mean to say that we're good at solving problems and people in Kenya are not. No, it's, that's such a great point. I've, I've told this story before, but I, I think because we live in abundance, we don't get the reps of the kind of prayers that maybe they they pray and also get to experience to see, you know, to see the power of God. And my very first trip, I, I've chatted about this before, my very first trip, I'll never forget it. We did a home visit with this mom. She had typhoid. She was sick. She had not worked in a month, um, was not making any money, had, you know, three kids, and got to the end of it, and we always kind of end the home visit with prayer. And, you know, and I'm already thinking, like, man, what am I going to pray for? You know, like, how do I, it was one of my first home visits and, and I'm, I'm asking her, is there anything I can pray for you? And clearly there are things. And she stops me. She goes, Hey, before you pray, I got to give a praise report. And I remember thinking, what do you have to be like? <laughs> yeah. I'm sitting in your little 10 by 10 shanty. You just told me you had typhoid. I mean, you don't look good. You have no money. <clears throat> and she, she started to tell this story where she said, yesterday I didn't have any food. And I asked God, I prayed for a potato, and he gave me two. And and just started like almost like cheering. Mm. And I remember just thinking, God help me, because I, I don't get it. But for her, that's all she needed now. Now it was like, no, we can pray for anything. Mm. And I think it's some of those reps. That was such a boost to her faith. That's right. I've never asked God for a potato, but... And to me, that seems so small, right? So insignificant because yeah. of where I come from. And I, and I, when you get around, you know, people that don't, don't have the kind of resources we do, when they're praying these kind of prayers, it, it feels like they believe it. Mm-hmm. They're not just going through the motion. They actually believe that is going to be the most powerful thing. And I think sometimes when you have an abundance or you have resources, you don't get as many reps in maybe some of those, what we would consider to be smaller things. Now, that's very big for her. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, if I want to eat something, I just go home or I go to the grocery store. I, I'm not asking for a potato. Mm-hmm. And I think in, in those things, we, we kind of run into those kind of things in our culture and we deal with 
you know, people are sick, people are dying. There, you know, there, there's these big things that are happening, mm-hmm. but for them, those things are happening every single day. Yeah. That's where they work. That's where they live. They, they live in that context. And so they have lots of stories about God showing up and doing things that they would consider to be incredible, yeah. which then leads them to these other kind of visions and just confidence and going, God will do it. But what's interesting, you're, so you're talking about this, and I get this idea that they have a desperation. Mm. And this woman that you spoke with had a specific desperation for food, and she was ill, and her living accommodations were poor, but her most immediate desperate need was food. I need at least one potato, I, or just give me one. Right. And I, I, think, I don't think we have to look too far in our world to think, what are we desperate for? Because it may not be food. Some of us, it, it might, uh, but most likely not. But you start thinking about the different people in our lives that are struggling with mental health, people that are, their marriages are crumbling, their kids are out of control. All these things start to feel overwhelming. And there are absolutely things that should lead us to a sense of desperation. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we may not have those exact same needs, but our prayer life could be challenged in that, that sense of desperation for other things. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I've, I think those people, though, that are dealing with that, they are forced to pray first. So they're running in something. They're praying immediately, mm-hmm. not just planning on how they're getting out of it. I think they are. If you're, if you're desperate uh, in depression or a situation or circumstance, cancer, whatever it is, yeah. you're immediately praying. Yeah. Um, that might be the thing for us is that we, even in our places of not being desperate, forcing ourselves to pray first. Yep. Like how, how do we create a rhythm um, where we're saying, I'm praying first? Um, maybe it's first thing each day. Um, maybe it's I'm not making decisions without praying first. Yeah. I don't know what that is, but that is one thing that's been on my mind big time since we've got home. And because I've seen it now so much with them, it's easier to remind myself, all right, let's pray. Mm-hmm. And even, I think, you know, Matt, you said something. She prayed for two potatoes and two potatoes showed up, or a potato and two showed up. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I noticed that with Wallace and Mary. They prayed for a school that would give them, them more than two rooms, <laughs> and then God provided something else. But, but every time they've seen him provide something bigger, they've prayed bigger. And that's one thing that's really interesting for me. I don't feel like they look at 100,000 kids and see that as like, oh, my gosh, that's out of the you – know, it's stretching them. It's risk. It's big. But they've seen so many answers that have been consecutively bigger. Yeah, and I think we, if, you, if we are approaching these big moments with plan first, then 100,000 kids is impossible. Yes. There's no plans that we can make that just make that happen. Yeah. Like those are things that are big enough, audacious enough that it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That can only work if you're starting with prayer. Yeah. All right. What else? What are some other things that you guys, unless you want to go back and, and, and hit on that point some more? We should pray more. <laughs> <laughs> I Let me write one. that down. <laughs> yeah. Got it. Yeah. I'll give you one, uh, just a little one, actually. So, um, and I, I think I was challenged on the trip to just to laugh more, laugh more often. And uh, I can be a serious guy, want to just get things done, always go after it and whatever. Um, but I was on the trip and I was sitting there with one of our guys who is a pretty serious guy. And uh, he looked at me and I had my two daughters with me. And so Grace is, you know, 18, Maddie's 16. We had such a good time together. Dad was there too. So it was a good family trip. But with my girls, um, Andy looked at me and he said, man, I, I, I love watching you play with your girls. There was, there was one night where we had a little bit of fun and they've got this game that they play that's like a kind of a balance game. It's called stick stance where you just stand in front of each other like two, two feet away and it's the trying to push each other off balance. And so, and they got these two high school kids, got all of us adults out there playing it. Oh, that's and cool. we're just laughing and having a great time. And it was a couple of days later that Andy was like, I love watching you just laugh and play with your kids. And I was convicted. So that was, that was, I, I said, thanks. But I started thinking, I am laughing and playing a whole lot more here with them than I do at home. Oh, uh, yeah. And so, yes, we had so much fun, and we laughed a ton. But coming back, I was like, I, I and that was so enjoyable, and we created such good memories. How do we do that at home yeah. more and laugh more? And, good grief, you can't walk into Mohi without laughing a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, we spent that first day playing with the teachers and having that just get to know you time and hang oh, out. Yeah. 
good grief. We laughed a lot and we laughed at each other. Yeah. Okay. So why do you think that is? Because you are right in the middle of a, a, a reality as far as being in Medoya and the slums there that would be heavy. So how, how is it that they're working right there and they have, they're, it's, they're so quick to laugh? Matt, you've been a lot, there a lot more than I have, so you can speak to this more than I can. But I do notice that there are extremely, there's a value there of relationships that is, so telling stories, laughing, dancing together. Good grief. That's part of the reason we went to Did la- you dance, laugh. Sean? Yeah, Sean. That's did why you, everybody laughed. They're laughing at me because I was so terrible. Why did so. that footage not make it in the video? I know. Because because Dane will get fired if it does. <laughs> hey, anyone listening to this that was on that trip that has footage of Sean dancing, <laughs> We're please, for it. dude. I'm telling you, I'm already, yeah. I'm already like, I might even take lessons for next year for the for this uh, oh, trip. Really? It, it was like they like to dance, but there's just so much laughter around all the relational things that they do. Would you say anything else to that with them? I think there's, it, it takes time, you know, as you're going through the trip, there is shock value for sure. If you've never been in the slums and you're walking through it and you're, you know, I, I always say it's like you're creating a new file in your brain that hasn't existed before. That takes time and there's energy, there's emotion that comes with that. But when that's where you work every single day, when you're a teacher that's good in, in the slums of Nairobi, this is life. And... And these people are just like us. Mm-hmm. And just like we would like to have fun at work, they do too. It's just that their circumstances from an outsider's perspective is overwhelming. And the, the job they're doing is incredible in the conditions that they do it. Because even as amazing as this school is, it is nothing like the schools that our kids go to. And so they're overcoming incredible obstacles. But when you go to the top roof, and you get the staff together and you go, hey, we want to have fun. Everybody wants to have fun. And I, I, I think you can see that, that fun is, is definitely part of their, their culture. They like to have fun. Um, there is something special. Even like, like Sean was saying that first day before we really got into the week and we're just engaging with their staff. And um, it's fun to watch them have fun. And... Yeah, it's super encouraging. But it, there is this weird, you're right. I mean, we're right in the middle of yeah. of some of the poorest, you know, places in that country. But that's got to be one of the things that draws that community there, too. Oh. You know, the, yes, that building may not be much for our standards in the West, but, uh, and yes, the community looks at that, and it's gorgeous, it's beautiful, it's, it's new, but it's got to be that staff there. And, and how, how much joy that they have that makes that community drawn to them. Oh, yeah. I mean, that building is filled with laughter and singing. And, it's awesome. And one of the things that's, I don't know if you notice this, it's a bit heartbreaking, but you, you'll notice like down the first floor, there's kids who aren't part of the school, but they're, oh, yeah. And they're yeah. looking through the gate, you know, and you can tell they just, they want to be inside the building. Yeah. Because there's something going on inside the building that's much different than what's happening in the community. And it really is, a, you know, Sean's right. It's like a beacon of light in that community. That place is different. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome to see. I know? think, you know, we talk about all the, all the time about the gospel bringing healing and the gospel bringing forgiveness mm. and the gospel bringing. Man, I, I think if you have a hard time if you really get into Scripture and look at the New Testament, look at Jesus. You have a hard time missing, or I think sometimes we miss uh, the fact that I think Jesus laughed a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, I think he had a sense of humor. You can't go through the stories that he tells. I mean, you know, comedy, what's comedy half the time? It's exaggeration. And Jesus tells these huge exaggerated stories with these really poignant punchlines. Yep. And I'm His sure timing had, was, yeah. was pretty, pretty funny at I times. I mean, you can't say, you know, take the speck out of, you know, somebody else's eye before you take the log out of your own eye. Yeah. I mean, I see him telling those stories and just bringing laughter to places. I, I always laugh too of, you know, him telling Peter, uh, hey, they're, the Pharisees are messing with you about us paying our taxes. Hey, uh, go get your fishing rod, catch a fish, and open its mouth, and then pull out the coin in there and go pay our taxes. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is funny. Yeah. And I think Jesus just, I, I'm sure there was lots of laughter around that. And I think the gospel brings that too. And we saw it evidence in Mohi that those people had a hope and that hope was about something much bigger. And with that brought all the health and wholeness, but it also brought joy. 
And I, I just, I loved it. And so I, I think there was a commitment of coming home. I, I read an article a while back to you that um, tears and laughter cement um, memories in our, in our hearts. Mm. So they, there's something physically in us. And there's really truth. You think about a lot of memories in your past, deep, hurtful, emotional times, and those memories are cemented deep. Fun, exciting, laughter moments, you remember those. And I just, uh, you know, I got a daughter who's 18, who's senior year. And that's one thing we, my wife and I have talked about coming home is how we're going to cement more great emotional moments, uh. laughter in our household, trips or different little things to make this a great year. Um, and that doesn't happen by itself. No, you got to be intentional. Yeah. And I think sometimes with my personality, I have to be more intentional because I'm not the comedy guy. Yeah. You not know? true. <laughs> but Sean, you're funny. <laughs> um, I think going back to your question too, like, you know, we're talking about like fun Sean. Yeah. You know, on the trip. And I saw that too. Is um, that like fun dad? He, Vacation dads are different than normal dads. Yeah. 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 He, uh, we played that game, by the way, him and I. Uh-huh. The, you had to push each other. He's very strong. I'll believe it. Yeah. He, he had a sweatshirt on. It was easy to grab a sweatshirt. He was throwing gotcha. it on. I was cheating. Um, Listeners don't realize this, but Sean's just wearing a muscle shirt right now. He is <laughs> a little ripped. Tank top, little tank top. <laughs> First time Matt had ever played it. I got some experience. Uh, okay. It was good. Yeah, yeah. Last, last time we me. will play it together. Though. Yeah, yeah. Surpri- I won. I'm done. Yeah. Sur- surprise me. Um, in the same way, like think of it like this. When you, when our high school, middle school students go to camp, we like when they go to camp because we take away the cell phones. The distractions go away. They, mm. Things really have to be simplified for them in, in that week, right? It's, it's um, They're doing things in the mountains, and they've got their worship, and their teaching with their friends. They, you know, it, it, it kind of slows down a little bit. Um, their environment changes. It's the same thing that happens with this trip. When, you, when your environment changes, when you don't have to get up and go into the office, mm. right? When, when you, I mean, you've got internet, but it's not good. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. when there's just, when you when you change up your rhythm of your day or for, you know, for a week or a week and a half, it allows for different things to happen. And I think that's the beauty of, of these kind of trips. It's, it's not a vacation, right? It, it's a, it's a group of people that are going on a mission to go do something together, but the uniqueness of that to go do that with, you know, 21 other people, it allows you to experience some things that normally you wouldn't experience Yeah, because your cha- your environment is so significantly different. And then to be able to do that with people is awesome. Mm-hmm. It brings on, you know, you're spending more time sitting around at night telling stories and laughing. So that relationship factor goes up. Exactly. You, you, you're just engaging in life in a different way. You know, my oldest, you know, was, was there on this trip as well. You're, it's different. I've not spent that much time with her mm-hmm. over 10 days. So things change. You have different kind of conversations where we're, you know, we're sharing a room together where, you know, there's just things that are happening. So it brings out different things. I think it's a real beauty of this trip and people don't really think about that, but we put ourselves in a different, in a different situation, different environment, different perspective. And, and those kind of things mm-hmm. begin to, to happen. Fun Sean. Shows up, you One know. He's ready. Man. He's ready to go. He's ready to go. I love how we're painting this picture that you are so boring. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So speaking of getting away, you mentioned uh, your daughter. So both of you guys, Sean, you you brought both uh, your older. You only have two daughters, yeah. and Matt, you brought your oldest with you. Mm-hmm. Why was that important? What were what were some of the benefits of them being on that trip? Mm. More more than we have time to talk about. Mm-hmm. I. I think the biggest one is what an opportunity for, you know, a ten, some 10th graders and, and a 12th grader to, to go see a different perspective of what's happening around the world. Yeah. And the, 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 the same opportunity that's given to me, you know, as a 37-year-old guy, but I think the opportunity for them at their, at their age to, to begin to realize probably what they think are the most important things in life are not the most important things in life. Yeah. And this trip offers them kind of a, to take a deep breath. You know, I always joke, you know, with my kids because, you know, it's cell phone, cell phone, cell phone. And, um, and then you go on these trips and you're like, Hey, the most important thing is not a cell phone. Is it? It's maybe the most important thing for you because of where you live, but it's not that big a deal. Right. And it's like, 
Yeah. Because that perspective yeah, change. Because my daughter doesn't live in a slum. Um, her dad has more than two dollars. She's not worried about food today. She has access to great education. So you change up the environment, mm-hmm. different discussions begin to happen. And one of the cool moments for me was as we were going through that week, um, you know, the opportunity for for our team to also uh, sponsor children. So Mojito's child sponsorship. And um, there was this little girl that she really connected with. Super cute girl. Dude, Trinity was awesome. I mean, she was the one student they had come and welcome our team. And, I mean, she's, you know, two and a half feet tall. Beautiful little girl. She speaks uh, English. How old is she? Spanish. She's probably five or six. Or oh, my Super God. tiny. Yeah. And you're, she's just so cute. So I was like, you know, I, I really want to sponsor that mm-hmm. child. And um, I was like, hey, it's your money. Like, this isn't you do it and then dad's paying for it. Like, and she was like, yeah, I'm in. Mm. And so sponsorship, sponsorship, what that ends up doing is we contribute a certain amount of money. We commit to it. Yeah. And that provides what for these kids? Education, uh, two meals. Three. So that's how it's funded. Yes. Got it. Yeah. So it two meals a day. Yeah. Yeah. Meals and then um, access to health care and yeah. all that. Okay. So I interrupted you. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So you're, you're saying Raya has to take this on. Yeah. So for me, I just go, what a cool story for her. Um, she's going to journey with this little girl, what, the next 15 years. And, and I just go, that's, that's a lot better. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a better 39 bucks spent a month than whatever else she would do with her money. And, and then the next day she got to sit down and visit with her and she got some gifts for her and, and they're talking, I'm just watching and I just, for me, I go, this whole trip was worth it for this right here. What, what's happening right here is worth it. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad she has the opportunity to experience this. Yeah. And now she's got a, she's got an attachment to, to somebody around the world whose life is very different than hers. And that's good. Yeah. That's a good thing. Um, so I, I just think, you know, jokingly, I'll say from the stage sometime, you know, parents will say, you know, how... How, how do you raise your kids in such a way that they don't become these self-righteous jerks? And I go, put them on a plane and go yeah. take them somewhere mm-hmm. that's significantly different than where they're growing up. And you don't mean Cabo. No. <laughs> I'm not talking about, yeah, the pristine beaches. I'm talking about, yep. you know, put them, put them in a difficult spot yeah. and, and see what happens. Sean, what would you add? You know, I, a little bit the same, but uh, there was one little story that happened uh, that I think captured it for me a bit, and it doesn't have to do with the kids. It was Enoch Miller. Um, he took his daughter, too. Mm-hmm. Savannah was a little younger, but uh, we, were, we were doing the uh, games for the kids, and the, it was, we were doing this tag game, and uh, we had this moment where this one kid, no, no other group had been this way, but this one kid won four games in a row. And Enoch pulls everybody together. You know, he's a high school basketball coach and a PE teacher and all that. And he's took this moment to teach these kids. And he, he asked them, he gathers them all together. They're like seventh graders or something, six, seventh, eighth graders. And he says, why did this kid win? And they're like, cause he's fast. He's like, nope. <laughs> cause the kid actually wasn't fast. <laughs> and uh, he's like, why'd he win? And he finally, they didn't get it. He just said, because he did, he did something different than the rest of you did. It was like this. Uh, he basically went kind of hit by himself, did some different things, and, everybody, and he won four games in a row. Mm-hmm. And Enoch took the moment just to say, hey, that's a key in life. When you will do something different than everyone else or different than is expected, you'll usually get different results and something better. So he just, man, guy just leaned into it, challenged him. But I think that is one thing what Matt's saying is we've got to yank our kids out of the sameness of life. And I think not just our kids, but us. Mm-hmm. Um, if it, we would all do so well, you think, man, mission trip, I got to take the time off. I got to raise money. I got to do this. I'm telling you, I, I think I would have been fine with my kids raising twice as much money to go on a trip for the lessons that they received. And it was so good to shake them up. And I wish we did done, done it earlier. Um, it, was, it was great. The, selfishly, too, for me, taking my two, you know, their girls and their mom, probably spends a lot more time with deeper conversations with them about life and just they're all girls, right? But this trip for me, dad, going with my two girls, there was something really special about getting those moments of deeper conversations, deeper, not just the play, yep. but the deeper things. And and they're at an age where they can really process that. And I think it it took our relationship two levels deeper than That's it's awesome. been. 
I was talking to my wife, and we have we have not gone on a trip with our kids, but uh, we're just thinking, man, we need to do that uh, for all the reasons that you guys are talking about, and we 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 still want to do that. But she said this other couple, this other family uh, in our church, she said, you know, one thing that they do is I don't know how often, I don't know if it's once a month or something, the whole family goes and serves at a soup kitchen nearby in Boulder. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I think sometimes, and I, not to downplay mission trips, because that is important and we should be doing that, but sometimes I, I, we put it off because it's such a big thing and the trip isn't until next summer and it's so much money, you've got to take time off, like you said. Uh, getting them involved as a family, as, yeah. as the, the whole group to go serve people uh, that are in different circumstances than, than we're in, that's got to do something. So, and, and I had mentioned that to you earlier, Sean. You said, absolutely, we should do that. Not necessarily one in, instead of the other, mm-hmm. but that should be a, maybe a rhythm that we're, we're, we're showing our families right now. Yeah. And the fact that they're doing that, then take a kid on a mission, maybe that kid's even more ready yep. to experience some of that. Mm-hmm. But man, what, how many high school kids are doing those things or being forced to do yeah. those things right now? Well, I think so often we want to insulate our kids from mm-hmm. discomfort, right? Mm. Uh, and I know that there's other things that we want them to work hard at, but th- that's just, I think it's a, it's a gut instinct. I want to protect my kids, protect my kids, protect my kids. To a certain extent, we can prote- protect them too much. Yeah. You know, my kids too, like, uh, one of the things I love on the trip, we took, what, 21 people on that trip? Mm-hmm. And they were around great people. Like, they got to watch... Um, you know, I think some of the buddies on the trip, they got to watch you and they got to watch Joel, uh, Dill, and they got to watch Andy Broerman and Richard Harris. And we just go on Dane, you know, Voorhees and Shelby Voorhees. And we just go down the line of all these people that they're exposed to out of their regular rhythms and be able to look up to them as men and women and say, man, I want to be like that. Not to mention the people at Mohi that they're learning from. But I was really proud too, because those men and women invested in our kids really well. Yeah, they did. Like they led them, took care of them. Even times when we're out training pastors and doing things, they stepped in and you're, you're walking through the slums and doing all this. And there's guys that are stepping in as protectors and there's ladies stepping in, teaching them and and encouraging them to pray at these home visits. It was, they came home with a couple, uh, three or four people that they're like, man, I learned a lot from those people. I think one of the, just one more thing, just an additional thing, just added on to that was um, seeing my daughter interact with kids her age. And not only are we at the school in Medoya, which goes up to eighth grade, but then we also take a day to go see the uh, high school boarding schools. And, um, you know, these schools out in the middle of nowhere. And um, it was cool to see, you know, Raya, you know, around girls that are exactly her age. And then having conversations around that as a dad going, hey, what'd you think? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, if you were here, if this is where you live, I mean, this is where you would be. And um, and you see just their schedule. You know, they're up at, you know, 5 a.m. and they're going all day. And, and you just see how life would be significantly different. And I love that. I love that she can have conversations with somebody who's the exact same age as her. And I just think there's a lot of power in that. You know, for her to be able to go, wow, this is, this is real. You know, this I can identify with, with this person because, you know, we're same age. Yep. But life looks very, very different. Yeah. Any other takeaways from the trip? Um, there, there was one for me too on just you know Matt probably just you know, he's been there six times and so he's running into this all the time with them. But me going, I, w- I was there in 2007, but not with this group. I was with a different group and, uh, walking in, there was this idea of just choosing joy. And, uh, and there's, there was a message I preached a long time ago out of James chapter one. And there's that famous verse that just says, you know, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith develops what perseverance Mm. and consider it joy. And I, I think, man, I've never seen it more clearly and to walk into a place that has more obstacles, but more people, more joy. Mm. And uh, the, the thing that was interesting about that word joy in the New Testament is defined as, as um, a confident sense of well-being despite circumstances. Mm. So it wasn't, it wasn't exactly happiness, it wasn't, but it's this confidence 
that I'm going to be okay. And because of that, I can rejoice, you know, um, a confident sense of well-being despite circumstances. And so that the whole idea for me, I think coming away from there is joy is a choice. Like it's a choice. These people in their circumstances, they are choosing, um, because they have a hope. Like for them, there's, what is the way out? Like what, what does bring hope? What does bring joy? And we find it a lot of times here in our things, our possessions are, we have so much Yeah. for them. Where do they find it? I mean, they find it in the hope of heaven. They find it in the hope of the gospel. They find it in the community of God's people and they have chosen to be joyful. And, and as you're saying that, I'm thinking maybe that's another reason why, uh, we are at a disadvantage when we, f- when a problem presents itself and we first plan. Yeah. Because if our hope, this is what ha- happens to me all the time. My hope is actually in my plans. Yeah. And and I'm going to strategize. I'm going to think uh, critically and 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 have wisdom, and I'll solve the problem. If that's the case, my hope is in those plans. Yeah. And it's not in prayer. It's not in God. But my plans will will fail. You know, because yeah. uh, things I, I'll, I'll face other obstacles, and maybe that's a key. There is, is you're saying because they choose prayer first, and that's the source of their hope with God. That even if they keep facing other obstacles, it doesn't affect their joy. Well, and obstacles are just part of life. Yeah, there and big obstacles are part of life. And you think about it in history, and you think about it in scripture, but just history, there's nothing that is great that has happened in our history that hasn't happened in spite of obstacles. I mean, it's overcoming obstacles in which we grow. And I heard somebody once say difficulty is the path uh, to growth. And um, I think there's an embracing of that, but also the expectancy that God's going to help me overcome that. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of joy there. And I, I came back, my wife and I talked about that too, of just, man, that joy is a choice to choose every single day yeah. that I'm going to believe God can do something in this. I'm going to believe there's an opportunity and a way out of this or to overcome this, or there's an opportunity to grow through it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think that idea of choosing joy was a big deal for me. I, I think one of the, going along with what Sean was saying, just the idea of uh, a mission trip. This doesn't have to be to Kenya. It could just be anywhere. But I think one of the things that, that I've been thinking a lot, especially this year, just um, I started running. Started, what? Yeah. Have you been working out? I just want to throw that in the podcast. <laughs> wait, um, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm getting up at 4.30 in the morning, which is good, you know? Yeah, thank you. Um, but it's just, uh, you, you, I just want to start doing things that for me weren't easy. And even bumped into this one author, his name is David Goggins, where he, he, he kind of says the only way to develop mental toughness is to put is to put yourself in a position where you have to endure you have to persevere you have to put yourself in a place so that you can get through it and then you build on that you go oh I can do more I didn't think I could do that but I did that and I think just just in life and, and maybe even spiritually speaking a little bit one of the things I love about a global mission trip is is the first couple of meetings when you're with the team and you're going, hey, what, what, what are you a little nervous about? What, what, what is it about this trip? And it's everything. I mean, it's flight. It's malaria. Some people it's, are afraid of dancing. That's right. <laughs> <Yes>. now, <laughs> now it's dance. I mean, you just hear all of it. And I, I get giddy a little bit because I know that they're on a path to push through that. And, you know, in, in three, four months, you know, after we get to the trip and and then we come back, they're not going to talk about any of that. They're not going to talk about any of it. They're going to talk about things that, that God showed them or things that stood out. They're going to talk about those stories that they're going to remember the rest of their life, the moment they were crying, the the fun dad moments, like all these things. And you don't realize what's on the other side of mm-hmm. all of those fears and anxieties and worries. And a lot of times that's what you hear. Oh, I can never do that. It's too much this, too much that. The flight is too long. I could, and um, and there's something in me that just goes, man, they're missing out. So much good stuff. And I said this when I, on the celebration day with the teachers at the school, I, I have just felt, you know, from my first trip um, six years ago, seven years ago, that my role is, part of my role 
in, in partnering with Mohi and, and leading at this church is to bring as many people to go and see. And I love it. I absolutely love it. You know, Joel Dill, who I've been working on for three years. Three years, Joel. <laughs> you know, wasn't going. Not can't go, can't go, can't go. Um, it's too scary. It's too this. And halfway through the trip, he pulled me aside and said, thanks. And I'm like, yes, yes, this is going to do something, you know, for him and his, in his life. He'll be a better everything, better husband, better dad, better follower of Jesus because of it. But he had to put himself in that position. And there is something good for us to do that. You know what I mean? And yeah. you just see that play out even in, in Mohi. They put themselves in a position and these obstacles. Um, but there, it's this idea of like game on. Yeah. Because we were in an obstacle last year. And God came through and we Mm -hmm. endured and look what he did. Yep. And I think that kind of spiritual exercise for us, we oftentimes aren't praying for endurance. We're praying it for it to stop. Yeah. Go away. I want the pain to go away. That's right. And there's something beautiful about these kind of trips where it's like game on. Here we go. We need to develop that track record of this was hard. God pulled through for me. Yeah. And now you, I mean, you go over there and then even just, you know, from a vision standpoint, you know, we're talking about vision here, and then you go over there, and you, you, you go through some stuff, and you come back, and you're like, yeah, let's go more. Yep. Yes. You know? It, you could tell on that that video that you guys sent, you were fired up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not just, just about Kenya. Expands your vision. Yes. Life. Yeah. 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 And I love that that's, I think this is what that trip does for folks. It, it whoa, there's so much more here. And I was just kind of in this lane. And now, whew, maybe all of this is possible. Yeah. And I love it. I absolutely love it. So there's 21 of us went on that trip. That's the biggest trip we've taken to Kenya. Mm-hmm. I think we ought to double that mm-hmm. next trip. Yeah. And, and man, the opportunities, too, of mm-hmm. things they talked about. One of the things I love, too, is there was something for every person and their giftedness to do. Mm-hmm. You know, Becky goes, she's a dental hygienist, and she's over there using her gifts and her abilities to mm-hmm. work with kids. There was so many people. You got a guy like Richard Harris. That guy's a rock star in Kenya. They call him King Richard. Wow. <laughs> He's been there. He's been there eight times, eight something like times. that. Mm. And he just, yeah. yeah, and Richard has a whole different set of gifts. Yeah. And, and that's important great. to know because not all of us are as gifted uh, as a dancer as you are, Sean. <laughs> oh, man, I'm telling you, by next year I will be. I'm working. So. We need to create a gift. Of Sean dancing and uh, put it out there. <laughs> See, I'm telling you, Matt just left me hanging, man. He's like, he didn't tell me that this is going to happen. Okay, I would say this. This is the most dancing, this trip, that I've ever experienced. I mean, it was like every day we're dancing. Okay. So. You know, it's funny. This, that would be, you say, what are you nervous about? If I go in the next trip with like all this dancing, everyone keeps talking. I'm it telling you, dude, by the end of the time, though, it was just fun and funny. And a joke. We had a blast right with it, did we? Yeah. And it was good. Yeah. So. Your first couple of times here, yeah, you know, it's uncomfortable. Everybody's uh-huh. watching you. And then. So Matt doesn't tell us. And then he gets out there and just rocks this dance move that I know he's been working on for three months. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's, yeah. yeah. So. I, I, I wish in that moment they all stood back and like, whoa, that's too, that's yeah, too it's much. That's too much. That's too much. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. That's too much. Yeah. It's impressive. Uh, it's not supposed to be impressive. Yeah, he had some moves. I, was, I, was I believe it. I did say we, Actually, got, I don't we need it. to put dancing in the, you know, the, the team the team meetings leading up to it because it is... Dude, we're, we're pushing people away from this. Yeah, <laughs> this, is, this podcast is going to backfire. There's quite a bit of dancing. You know, what I appreciate about you guys sharing is, um, you know, you, you're, you're, we're talking about things that I feel like I can apply right now. I mean, you, you Sean, you sharing, it's like, I, I need to laugh more. Um, I don't know if, if I laugh as much as, as I want to around my family right now. Mm. Um, choosing joy, figuring out ways that we can be serving together right now and not waiting for some big moment but also it makes me want to go on a, a trip mm-hmm. yeah. so i want to do both yeah. perspective change man yeah it, it does so much for us Powerful. it's good right on well uh next time we have a podcast where we are probably gonna be talking about this ephesian ser- series that we just started talking about our identity i think a lot of people are excited about it yeah, yeah. it's gonna be a good one can't it's wait to share off, more man next week week yeah. two love you guys thanks for being on the, love the you, show dude. Yeah. good to be back all righty say it sean Good to be back. <laughs> no, I said I love you. Oh, <laughs> I didn't even hear you say it. I got to get all emotional here. Yeah. I love you guys. Oh, I love thanks, you guys. Man. You go. All right. Thank all you. Right. See you.
Well, thanks again for joining us on Rocky Unscripted. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can go to rocky.church slash this week. And no matter when you're listening, it'll always be up to date. We love to connect with you and love to serve you as much as we can. Please share the podcast, rate us, review us. That helps us be seen by more and more people. Love you guys. and We'll catch you next time.